Friends, episode 16, podcast, oddly adulting, but you already knew that, and I'm getting really good at getting these intros down to like basically nothing. Probably if I went back and listened to one of the intros from my first couple of episodes, I would be horrified. So lest I digress down that path again, I want to jump right into this episode because I have so many things that are fresh on my mind that I don't want to forget. First of which is that although this is not going to be book club volume two, because I intend to do volume two for sure, and possibly like volume three, volume four, that could be endless, volume infinity. Um, That's not exactly what I want to talk about today, but it is going to be about books again. And specifically... I have a report from the book talk I went to on Tuesday. So I am going to tell that. But before I get down to that, I have much more important things to say, which is that, let me get my little drum roll going again. I have my fourth producer. I'm so excited. And I, the timing was hilarious because I actually mentioned this person in episode 15 when I was talking about doing oh and the and the best part about that was that she hadn't even listened to the episode yet because I recorded the episode and my husband tacked the intro music in at the beginning and the end and he did his whole thing to get it going um and then forgot to publish it <laughs> so there was like a little bit of lag time uh normally at a, it's like i publish it at night and it's or i record it at night it's published in the morning in this case we had a little bit of overlap but i mentioned her in that podcast when i was talking about doing the um send send out five books challenge in january because she was my number 6 she was the sixth person that made it onto the list and, um, but I sent her a book anyway, cause I don't want anyone to feel left out being, being the, being like one person too late would be so frustrating. So I was like, no, I got you. I'm going to send you a book. So what's funny is that I logged into my oddly adulting email to see if anything had come in. And sure enough, there it was a donation from Brenda, which was just really funny. So immediately I logged into Facebook and sent her a message and I was like, you're not going to believe this. I recorded a podcast last night and I mentioned you. And then this morning, here I go, I log into my email account and here it is. So Brenda generously sent $25 my way and she said, love ya. And Jesus does too. (laughs) In uh, not exclamation points. Why can't I think of what this word is? Parentheses. She put that in parentheses. She said, this outlet suits you and fills my heart in the process. And I just, again, like, first of all, let's take a moment and mention that Brenda is my first non-family donation. So that's something in and of itself. I love my family for supporting me so much. Actually, and like I said, when I um, talked about my very first donation from Christy, like my family are the people who absolutely do not have to. I mean, they have to listen to me whether they want to or not, (laughs) when they're stuck in the same room with me. So it really just makes me feel so accomplished, I guess, that I've caught their ear, you know, even though they've been listening to me for like long periods of time, potentially my whole life, their whole life. Um, 
But I'm also excited that I got my first non-family donation. My kids really hate it when I do stuff like that, when I sing, sing my sentences. But Brenda, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for sending the donation. And um, now you'll get to hear your name again and again and again in this episode. So, and actually, I'm seeing that you're messaging me live on Facebook right now. And... Oh my goodness, this is perfect timing. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm going to try not to do that zombie thing where I'm trying to read um, uh, and do something at the same time. Hold on, let me type real fast. I, I'm recording right now. Reading this and responding to you now. Okay, so what is that all about? I'm going to tell you because that was the second thing I was going to say. I had I said I had two things I wanted to say and then I'm going to jump into telling you about the um, book talk I went to. So I mentioned Brenda and I had sent her a book and she sent me a donation. Well, get this. Yesterday, I opened the mailbox and there was a package from Amazon, which I did not order. And what's funny is that on Saturday, I opened my mailbox and there was a package with not my name on it. Okay, so this has happened a couple of times. So we have, um, as you know, my name is Lindsay. Well, hold on. My dog's being annoying again. Get in your house. Get in your house. Get in there. Get in your house. Man, sorry. Okay. So unprofessional. Um, my name is Lindsay. I happen to have a neighbor also named Lindsay whose street address is very, and her, and her Lindsay is spelled the same way as mine, which is not always the case, as you know, and her street address is very similar to mine. And so very occasionally some, something of hers will end up in my mailbox. I don't know that anything of mine has ever ended up in her mailbox. I don't recall if she's ever had to show up and bring me something. But the embarrassing thing is that every time it has ever happened on my end, I have only discovered that I got something that was not for me by ripping the package open. <laughs> so uh, now I, this has happened just a couple weeks ago. And so now every time I get a package, I'm paranoid because I'm like, I want to make sure I'm not opening someone else's mail. And so first thing I do is I look, okay, who is this addressed to? Okay, that's definitely my name. All right. Then sometimes I'll even try and mentally catalog, like, did I order something recently? And so, yes, I did. Okay, it's safe. I'll open it. Well, like I said, on Saturday, I got a package that was not addressed to me. It was addressed to someone else. And not the someone else that lives, you know, that I'm familiar with because I get her mail. This was like a name I'd never heard before. And so it was kind of squishy. And I shook it and it made a sound like bells, like little, it sounded like to me, cat toys. So there is actually a house on my road with lots of cats in the windows and in the yard. So I kind of sort of suspected that like maybe this person, maybe their address, maybe they accidentally punched in the wrong number. Um, and so it came to me, but it had their name on it, but I don't know what their name is. And I certainly wasn't going to, I'm allergic to cats. So I wasn't going to go over there and be like, hello, person with a bazillion cats. Um, did you, is this yours? Is this you? Like I said, no, thank you. So what I did instead was something, you know, equally as awkward. And I just, 
I waited for the mail to come on Monday. And when I saw the mail lady pull up, I ran out to the mailbox with this package. And I was like, I don't think this is for me. It doesn't have my, it's got my address, but it doesn't say my name. So like, I don't want to open it. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll take it back. So, um, hopefully nobody was trying to send me a gift, but with a weird name on it. (laughs) But what happened yesterday was awesome because I got a package from Amazon with my name on it and my address. So it passed both of my tests. And bonus, it felt like a book. And remember what I said in episode 15? I was like, surely this cannot be. I really thought like I had forgotten, like that I had ordered a book and forgotten about it. So I rip it open and I pull out a book that I have never seen before. And I didn't order it. And there was no note. And so I was like, this has to be from someone. Someone had to have sent me a book. And sure enough, they did. And guess who it was? According to the Facebook message that I just got from Brenda, Brenda sent me a book. And it's called The Book of Joy. And I've already read two chapters of it. I read it this morning with my coffee. It is a book that has um, basically the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu spent a week together at some point in time. I can't remember what, maybe 2018. They spent a week together and they had a video crew and journalists and translators and a bunch of people on hand. And they basically spent a week together talking about joy. How do you live a life filled with joy? And so this is the book that they created from that week, the book of joy. And it arrived in my mailbox yesterday from Brenda. And I've, like I said, I've already read two chapters of it and I am super interested in it. It is really, really neat and fascinating. These are actually two people I don't know a lot about. And so that's really interesting to me that I'm going to get to know. I know of them, obviously they're very famous, I actually have a friend, a real life Facebook friend. I haven't seen her in many, many years because we went to elementary school together, but she actually met the Dalai Lama. So that's pretty cool. And I just actually saw a picture of her with the Dalai Lama this morning. And so I mentioned, I'm reading this book that I just got in the mail yesterday. But anyway, so guys, I'm so excited. This has been like the best week ever in podcasting. I had a podcast that people actually listened to. They responded to it by mailing me a book. They gave me a donation. Like, this is so fun. Everyone should do this because it is just so, and it's really like uplifting. It's really uplifting to have a project that you want to do and that you do and that somebody else finds value in. So again, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate all of my producers. I have also received several emails, several messages, even a Marco Polo of people sending me book recommendations. Cause that's another thing I asked for in um, the last episode, I asked for book recommendations. And so I have a list going in um, my little notebook. I have just like a, it's like a spiral bound random. It's kind of cute. It's sort of she, she like whatever cutesy looking. Um, I call it my idea book, which is so dorky sounding I realize, but my idea. I have my little idea book. And actually I wrote about having a podcast in my idea book. But another thing I'm writing in my idea book is the names of all these books that people are recommending to me. So keep them coming. Keep them coming. Especially since this podcast is also going to be about books. We can just keep that dialogue going. So next 
thing I want to tell about besides my exciting week of happy mail and donations. I went to the book talk on Tuesday and just to refresh your memory, it was a book talk with, it was called An Evening with Charles Frazier. An Evening with Charles Frazier, who is the author of the very critically acclaimed, everyone has heard of it, especially because a movie got made of it, Cold Mountain. And then the book that I read of his, which was what he was spending most of his time talking about at this particular evening, was the book 13 Moons. And to give you a very quick, no spoilers summary, I hate spoilers so much. Um, I actually told my oldest daughter, she had, she has read, well, now she has read all the Harry Potter books, but when she started reading the Harry Potter books, one of her friends spoiled like a major detail for her before she had even gotten through the first book. And I told her, I said, you go back to your friend and you tell her that if she spoils another book for you ever again, that I won't let you two be friends anymore. (laughs) And I was half serious. I hate spoilers. I hate a spoiler. So I'm not going to do a spoiler. Um, But actually, funny side note, I really hate surprises. So I will actually beg people to spoil surprises for me because I don't I don't actually want to be surprised a book it's fine it's fine for there to be surprises but like in real life I like spoilers just not in literature okay so moving on so I went to the book talk with Charles Frazier first I met up for dinner with my friend Lindsay we have a book club it's called Lindsay Squared we're actually going to open it up to non-Lindsay members in the future, but currently two members, both named Lindsay. And we met up to have dinner before going to the book talk. And the format that we have used for our book club meetings, of which there have been two, is that each of us brings the other a stack of books. So I can't remember exactly what stack of books I handed off to her the last time um, or exactly which stack of books she gave me, but I do remember what stack of books... I brought this time to give her and it had a clear theme. So I was inspired by reading 13 moons because it takes place in the South, um, like in Virginia. So I was inspired by that. And so I went with kind of like a sort of like rural slash Southern slash prairie kind of theme. And I gave her little house on the prairie, which she's never read. Uh, my Antonia, which is by Willa Cather, 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 I don't know how to say it. And then I brought Hillbilly Elegy, which is by J.D. Vance, but she had already read that one. So I brought that one back home with me. So she left with Little House on the Prairie and My Antonia. And I told her, I said, when I read My Antonia in college, and it was still the same copy I'd had since college, she accused me of being a hoarder. And I was like, it's true. Um, I thought the whole time I was reading it, this is like, little house on the, like grown up little house on the prairie. This is like little house on the prairie for big girls. So it was really fun for me to have the idea. I had an extra copy of little house on the prairie that we acquired recently. Um, which I know that sounds horrible that I gave away a copy of the book. That's been like the iconic book of my children's childhood, but we already have two other copies, so it's fine. Um, so I gave her little house on the prairie and my Antonia together. And I was like, here, here is, Prairie, prairie stories for girls and women alike. Okay. So back to 13 moons. 
So we met up for dinner. We talked about 13 moons. We handed off our stacks of books to each other, and then we headed off to the top. So Charles Frazier is pretty much exactly what you would imagine an author to look like. He was wearing, um, like, loafer-ish looking shoes, jeans, a white button-up shirt with a white undershirt, and a blue blazer. I mean... Is there any more, or maybe it was a black blazer, black blazer. I'm sorry. Black blazer, black shoes. He has gray hair, gray beard. His hair is kind of long, little Einstein-y looking, and he looks kind of mean. He sort of looks like a sociopath. I'm sorry, Charles Frazier, if you're listening, like, don't take this personally because I'm about to say something nice about you. He looks kind of mean, but then he starts talking and he has the most quiet Southern man talk. Like he has a great just soothing, like quiet, so quiet. He really needed to be closer to the microphone because I was like straining to hear, but being soothed to sleep all at the same time. So anyway, he, um, first actually we heard a musical, uh, presentation by a member of the Cherokee nation named, um, Tommy Wildcat. And, um, he has, uh, he makes his own flutes out of bamboo canes. So he had a a flute he had made and he had composed original music. So he played his original music for us and um, six or seven songs. And he told us a funny story about one of them. He said he had the coolest accent. Okay. Because he, um, as a member of the Cherokee nation, he lives in Oklahoma, but he grew up speaking like learning Cherokee, but also English. So he has a really cool accent, which I'm not going to attempt to imitate because that wouldn't, it would never do it justice, but it's, it's kind of like a Southern accent with just a little bit of a Cherokee twinge, like twang to it. Okay. So he's telling us before he plays each song, he's telling us about the song and what it's named and what inspired it or whatever. And he said, he said, this next song is called twins because I have a twin sister named Tammy. So they're Tammy and Tommy. And I, I wrote this song when we were younger and we were on a long trip together. And so I was, I was composing a song to pass the time. And after I was done and I played it for her, she said, that's the worst song I've ever heard. (laughs) So I named it twins. Oh my goodness. He was so fun. He was just very low key, very relaxed. I learned a lot. I realized I, even with the proximity that I live to a lot of landmarks, like, um, of the trail of tears and, um, all of that kind of stuff. I am actually, I know very little about it. So I was really interested in everything he was saying. And I, I said to my friend that, um, Lindsay I said to Lindsay, turned to Lindsay and I said, I really don't know anything about the Cherokee nation, but now I want to find some stuff out. So he inspired me to go learn some more about it. He was telling us about the verb tenses. There's 86 verb tenses in Cherokee. That's insane. So I, I, uh, really, really appreciated hearing his music and what he had to say. So after he did his musical presentation, then he turned it over to Charles Frazier. And so what Charles, Mr. Frazier, Charles, as we call him, Um, What Charles did was he read three different selections from the book. He told about how he researched for the book, how he found this, the, or how he came up with the idea for the story. Um, He based it on a real person. He said that when he was researching Cold Mountain, he came across the record of an old man who had been institutionalized 
um, in a mental institution. I think he called it an insane asylum, either one. Um, and who he was an old white man, but he would only speak Cherokee. And so he like, he said he wrote it down, but it didn't really have anything to do with anything he needed for cold mountain. So he just kind of moved on, but it was something that he never forgot. And so when he finished cold mountain and it was done and he needed a new project, his thoughts returned to this man and the man's name was William Holland Thomas. And he found that this guy had had a really, really colorful life that he had been orphaned and then basically been sent, um, to live like an indentured servant running a trading post inside Indian territory. And while living there and running the trading post, an older Cherokee, a member of the Cherokee tribe that was living in that area, um, whose name was Bear, um, offered to adopt him. He said, you're an orphan. You need a family. We'll be your family. You'll be Cherokee. You know, you'll be one of us for life. And the boy took him up on it. So he became an adopted member of the Cherokee tribe. And so he lived his whole life with them. And when, when he grew up, um, he worked off of his, he worked off his indentured servitude and then became owner of the trading post. He bought it from the person that he was indentured to, um, became the owner. He started making a life for himself, started building a fortune for himself, taught himself law, started practicing as a lawyer. And what he and Bear did was they came up with the all of the talk about the Indians being removed from Indian territory. All of that had been going on for a good while. And he and Bear decided that the only way that they could solidify their um, claim to their land was to actually own it. And so the two of them together started buying property. And so they had deeds showing that they owned all of it. And after he became a practicing lawyer, he actually went to when all of the Indian removal talk started and they were coming up with the plan for, you know, where the Indians were going to go and all that kind of stuff. And I realize I'm calling them Indians and I'm not calling them Native Americans. And that's probably wrong. It's just, it's how I was taught in school. So it's my, it's my default setting. So I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to get better about saying Native Americans when I'm teaching it to my kids, because I, I think I have a better understanding of everything that happened um, than I did when I was in school. But anyway, just for the record, I'm trying to do better, but I'm not flawless. Um, anyhow, when the removal was getting ready to happen, this guy, William Holland Thomas, went to Washington, D.C. and put up a lengthy battle and and won on behalf of this tribe that and he and he based it all on property rights. He said you can't remove these people because they own the property and the government at the time would let anybody buy property from anyone as long as you could prove that you had bought it, you could own land. And so and so he won. And so this particular tribe was not removed. They were able to stay on their land and they stayed for um almost all um the rest of his, well, the rest of his life. And then sometime after that, he lived to be a pretty old man. So, um, in the book, he is fictionalized as the character, Will Cooper. So Will Cooper is the narrator. And in the very begin, the very first chapter, and I'm about to wrap up cause you're probably like, Oh my gosh, how, how are you telling me you're spending 25 minutes and you're not even spoiling anything. <laughs> you're not even giving me any spoilers. This is what I came here to say. I went to the book talk. The author was there. 
I listen to him read. I listen to him tell me all these fascinating things about his process of writing a book, which I'm fascinated by the process, all of that stuff. And then they opened it up for questions. So I had one, I had one question. Okay. When I read the book, the first chapter, I don't know about y'all. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but I feel like for the solid, like first 15 or 20 pages of any book, it does not matter what the reading level, what the subject matter. I feel like my brain has kind of a hard time turning on for at least the first 15 or 20 pages. This was definitely true for this book. It's being narrated by an old man. And he ad- he explained <coughs> in the talk that when he decided to have Will be the narrator and not have a narrator telling Will's story, he wanted it told from Will's perspective. That he, one thing he wanted to be true to is that Will is telling the story as an old man. So he's not a 100% accurate storyteller because through the book he says, he'll, he says things, the, the character says, you know, I don't remember exactly what happened. It's been a long time, that kind of thing. So this first chapter very much feels like an old man who's maybe getting a little feeble in the mind is having a hard time recalling facts. He's having a hard time getting his thoughts straight. And so that first chapter is like, it's kind of a struggle to get through. But I, I forged on and I, and I finished the book. I actually read it in like two days because number one, I was up against the deadline, but number two, it was really good. So, but in that first chapter, he is talking about how, you know, telephones have just recently been invented and his um, caretaker, who's a young girl, this caretaker, young girl has convinced him to have a telephone installed and he didn't want it. She insisted, and for the first couple of weeks that it's in the house, it doesn't even ring. Well, then all of a sudden, one day it rings. So the dialogue goes back and forth. He answers the phone, and he's he's not able, he really can't hardly hear at all the voice on the other end of the line. And so he's going, hello, hello. And he says, and a sound, you know, the the wording is so good. This guy's wordplay is so good. He says, All he heard was the far off sizzling of ham cooking in a skillet or something like that. He describes the way he describes it. He says the sound on the other end of the phone is like someone's cooking ham really far away. (laughs) And he says, it's hello, hello, who is it? And he's, he's hearing someone saying his, he's perceiving, he's hearing someone saying his name, Will, Will. And he keeps saying, this is him present, you know, who's this? And then he thinks. He thinks he hears someone say their name, but he's not sure. He's maybe imagining it. So when I read the chapter the first time, I didn't, I was not at all sure who was on the other end of the phone. Then I read the whole rest of the book. I get the whole story. And as soon as I finish the book, I turn right back to the first chapter And I read the first chapter again. And of course, then so many different things make sense because I've already read the whole story. So there's all these little innuendo and like hidden things that you wouldn't get the first time. So I'm really, I'm enjoying reading it, but mostly I want to read because I want to know who is it at the other end of the phone. And I'm thinking that now that I've read the whole book, if I go back and read the first chapter, I'll definitely know. I go back, I read it. I still don't know. So I'm sitting here in this book talk, the author's answering questions And I'm like, oh, man, I really want to ask. I really want to know, like, who's on the other end of the phone? But then the other half of me is thinking, don't ask that. That's probably a stupid question. He'll probably be like, duh, 
don't you know, (laughs) in front of this room full of people. And like, potentially, you know, some of your college professors are in the audience back there that you can't see because you're on the second row and they're all back there. So I don't ask. I don't. And that's actually like, not normal for me. Normally, I would just put myself out there. But like, I was, I was intimidated. So after it's all over, we're milling around in the lobby. We're talking to some of Lindsay's friends that she's ran into. And he's over at a table signing books. Well, we stayed long enough that by the time we were about ready to leave, the book signing line was down to like two people. And so Lindsay's like, you have to go ask him your question. Just go, just go get in line. Just go ask him your question. I'm like, I don't even have a book for him to sign. Like I checked out the library and I didn't know how they felt about autographs. I didn't know how he would feel about signing a book I didn't purchase anyway. It was in the car. She's like, just get in line and ask him. Oh my word. So I do that. I get to the, it's my turn. And I'm like, hi, you know, it's so great to meet you. I just really enjoyed the talk. And it was so fascinating hearing all those things about, you know, how you wrote the book. And I'm just, you know, this, I haven't read your other books, but I really like this one. So I'll probably read those. Other, you know, at this one, I'm like, blah, 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 like, shut up, just ask your question. So and he's looking at me with this very kind, like, mm, you know, go ahead and get to the point, you know, <laughs> like, I can see it on his face. I said, listen, there's just one thing I need to know. I read the first chapter had kind of a hard time following along, you know, but that's normal for me. It's not your writing. It's me. (laughs) It's me, not you. Then I read the whole book. And as soon as I finished it, I turned right back to the first chapter because I thought for sure that after reading the whole book and when I went back to the first chapter, I would know who was on the other end of the line. And so I said to him, looked him right in the eye and I said, is it Claire on the other end of the phone? And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know. I, I I don't know who was on the other end of the phone. I I wasn't there to take the phone call. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I like just about stamped my foot and was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you wrote the book. Who's on the other end of the phone? He wouldn't tell me. Would not give it up. Nope. And I came home and like very righteous, like with righteous indignation, I told my husband the story and he's like, he wasn't going to tell you who's on the other end of the phone as if he was going to tell you that. And I was like, what? I totally expected him to tell me. Like now I have to die never knowing if it was Claire on the other end of the phone. Oh my goodness. So that's not a spoiler because it's in the first chapter of the book. You'll already have heard the name Claire. He thinks it's Claire on the other end of the phone. But guess what? No one will ever know because the author said so. Wow. Okay. So all told, really good book. Really good night with the author. And that's all I have to say about that. So now I'm going to tell you, now I'm going to say something else though. So I did have one other thing I wanted to talk about. Remember how I said this was the theme? Books was the theme. This is not book club volume two, but it is still about books. So, um, one of the things I said to Lindsay while we were sitting there waiting, um, for the thing to start is I said, man, I really, I really wish people would pay me to get up on stage and talk. (laughs) And she was like, you're so weird. I said, really? Like, I don't have anything. I'm not talented enough to like get up on stage and do something. Like I can't play a flute. You know, I can't, um, act. I can't dance. I can't sing. But, like, I would really like to get up on a stage and talk. Like, have people pay me to get on a stage and talk. And she was like, 
Okay. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I was like, well, I mean, I like, I want to write a book. Like, I want to write a book and have it published and be real and like made of paper, you know, and like I get on a stage and I talk about it and then people would sign it, you know, afterwards we'd have a book signing. So she was just humoring me, you know, not like totally rolling her eyes at me. Um, there comes the train by the way. So, um, so I really, I really legitimately do have this life goal. This is a, I'm not going to call it a bucket list item cause I don't want to be like on my deathbed when it gets published, but I really do want to write a book that gets published on real paper that can sit on an actual shelf in a library or on a book, you know, in a bookstore. Like that to me is just, I think the summation of so many things that are integral interests of mine, I guess, like having something to say, having a platform to say it, I suppose, you know, um, other people witnessing it, whatever. And then just books have always been, I'm just, I love books always from the, from the beginning to the end, books will always be something, which is so cliched. Like everybody and their mom loves books. There's a thousand percent of the population, you know, who would, tell you like, yeah, I like books. Maybe not a thousand percent, but you know, many, you know what this, this is all reminding me. There was a book I read in college for my, um, let's see, what class was that? I know the professor's name, but I'm trying to remember what the name of the class was. It was like the class where we learned how to lit, Oh, what was it? Lit crit. Lit crit. Okay. Literary criticism. Lit crit. It was literary criticism. Better not say that five times fast. (laughs) Literary criticism. Literature. How to take a critical look at literature. And so we learned all of these different methods. So there's like the deconstructive method, the feminist method, the Marxist method, the whatever. There are all of these different ways of doing critical analysis of literature. Okay. So we had to basically read books and then we would practice all these different styles of criticism on them. We'd write papers and stuff. Man, this makes me miss college. Oh gosh. I enjoyed, I enjoyed being an English major so much. Okay. Moving on. Um, so in this class, most of the books that we read, we were reading like, um, like fiction books and then doing, you know, doing the literary criticism. But this one book we read was (laughs) supposed to be like a very meta book about literary criticism or just about uh, analyzing life or something. I don't know. It wasn't fiction, but it wasn't exactly nonfiction. It was just a very meta strange, hmm, And of course, I can't remember what the name of it was. And of course, I can't remember the author of it. So if anybody that went to college with me and took this class with me is listening, um, email me and tell me if you have any idea what the name of this book was. But basically, the thing I can remember about it is that there was this one whole chapter devoted to talking about how people try and make make themselves sound unique, right? And so they will say, I only like cold showers. Okay, so in most, you know, company, if you get multiple people together, 
most people are not going to say they like cold showers, right? Like, think to yourself now. I mean, do you know anyone who says they prefer cold showers? I don't know anyone. One of my children claims she likes cold showers, but I think that's just because she always gets the short end of the stick with shower time and she ends up having to take a cold shower. But I don't actually know anyone who actually says they prefer cold showers. But as far as the world's population is concerned, I only know a small percentage of people. The whole world is full of, you know billions of people. There probably are a lot of people that like to take cold showers. So for one single person to say, I only prefer cold showers, makes them sound very special. But if you zoom out and you consider it in a world perspective, okay, that doesn't make you that special. Like lots of people like cold showers. Okay. So that's why I say it's super silly and cliched for me to be like, making such a big deal about the fact that I love books. Okay, I love books. Tons of people love books. But nonetheless, I also want to write a book. I just think it would be such a personally enriching process to have to go through because once upon a time, about mm, three, four years ago, I can't remember exactly. I should have like researched. I should have looked this up so that I knew exactly what timeline I was discussing. My dog is being so cute right now. Oh, you're so cute. Do you want out? Here, I'll let you out. One moment. I guarantee in like two minutes she's going to want back in here. Okay. Like four years ago, we'll say. I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm writing a book. And so I researched how to, like what the real legitimate process of writing a book is like where you do like a book um, pitch and you write up, you know, it's this whole deal. It's kind of like there's a format to it, you know, like with a resume or a cover letter or whatever. So doing a book pitch, there's a whole formula. And then you, so you put out, you put your pitch together, you write a couple sample chapters, but you don't actually write like a whole book. You don't go to the trouble to write the entire book and then pitch it to people. You just write a sampling of the book. So that a publisher can get an idea for whether or not, like, whether or not you can write, you know, whether or not what you're writing is any good. And then they can decide for themselves whether or not they think they have an audience to sell it to. So after concluding all of that research, I determined, wow, that's a lot of work. I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I want to do all that. I don't think I have a good enough idea for a book yet that I want to do all of that for this current idea that I had. Because I had one very singular idea of a book that I wanted to write. But I didn't feel like book pitch, the whole deal. I didn't feel like this was the right book for that. So then I started looking into self-publishing. And of course, you know, Amazon, which has Kindle. Kindle has a self-publishing service or platform, I should say, not service, but platform, whereby you write a book, you format it into the format that they can accept it to turn it into a Kindle book, you run it through their thing, their formatter, you toggle with it, and then it out, you know, out the other end comes a PDF file that is your book, and then you can make it available for sale on Amazon. So that's what I did. So I wrote a book and it was about an, uh, a super scintillating topic. Okay. Brace yourselves. It was about meal planning and grocery shopping. Oh, <laughs> it really was. 
It really is. It's still for sale. You can still buy it. And about once every four months, someone does. <laughs> but, um, but I did. I went through the whole self-publishing process and it was fairly tedious. I can remember that. I can remember that um, I still had pretty small children at the time. I had like a two-year-old in the mix. And um, I remember just feeling like my brain was totally fried and I wasn't sure how I was ever going to get this thing finished. And I thought how much more exhausting writing a real book would be because you'd have like a publisher and you'd have deadlines and you'd have like all kinds of stuff. So this was like of the of the potential ways to get a book into where people can read it. This was like the easiest and it was still a killer process. So, well, not killer. Killer's kind of overkill. That's taking artistic license. Uh, let's just say it was tedious, but I did get it done. And um, like I said, about once every four months, someone buys a copy of it. I had a, a spike in the very beginning, like a very, you know, a rush. There was a big rush, like 20 people bought it in one day. Um, and later I found out my grandparents bought it and read it. <laughs> so cute. I can't, they didn't even have a Kindle. They had to read it on their laptop, which was probably super tedious, like way more tedious than reading it on a Kindle. But anyway, um, I did, I wrote a book and it was about like the world's most boring topic ever, meal planning and grocery shopping. But it's a topic that I'm actually really passionate about and I'm not being ironic. That's actually true. (laughs) I'm very passionate about this and I'll probably do a podcast about it sometime. Um, You know, I won't be able to give away all my trade secrets because those are trademarked in my book, but I'll give away a lot of them because I just love y'all like that. Y'all are my producers, so I'm going to try and give you something of value. So in case you, you know, are curious or like, you know, want to go see what it's all about. Actually, probably a lot of you have already seen it because I'm still convinced that probably like 98% of my listening audience are people that already know me. But if you haven't happened to check it out, hit up the Amazon, go to the Kindle search bar and type in putting dinner on the table. And you will find a book by a chick named Lindsay Mack, because that is my pseudonym. Oh yeah. I made up myself an author pseudonym. Yes, I did. So Lindsay Mack, that's me. I wrote a book about meal planning. It's a short book. Won't take you very long to read. You do have to buy it. They won't let you borrow it. There was some sort of like ridiculous hoops that you had to jump through to make your book lendable or shareable or something like that. And I just didn't feel like it was going to be a blockbuster um, title enough to where I would like it was worth extra work. So it might cost you like $1.99 if you want to read it. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, but I don't, you know, even though that was an accomplishment for sure and like it it did give me a huge amount of insight into the actual process of of writing a book and what what it would entail to to really have a book published like on paper you know i don't really count it doesn't really count in my mind cuz like you can't go i can't go pick it up it's not on my shelf you know it's on my kindle and if i drop my kindle in the toilet and it dies i won't be able to read it so if i drop a book in the toilet which my child just did right before i started Right before I started recording this podcast, she came to me very upset about the fact that she had dropped her book about George Washington Carver, who happens to be her favorite scientist. She told me that earlier today. She dropped her biography of George Washington Carver in the toilet, and she was really mad about it. And I said, well, that's, number one, that's gross. But number two, that's, it's fixable. 
go lay it down on the, um, you know, fluff it out on top of the air vent so it can dry overnight. She's like, oh, no, I'm still going to go read it. So gross. Kids are so gross, especially 11-year-olds. Ew. But I love her, and I'm really proud of the fact that she learned how to read. And don't know what my dog's doing out there, but that's probably a sign that it's time to sign off. So um, my husband laughed at me when I told him that this would not be a 45-minute podcast. So obviously he knows something I don't know, which is that apparently I can't shut up when I talk about books. With that, I and with one more throwback of thanks to producer Brenda for the money in the book. Thank you so much. This has been a great week in podcasting. I hope everybody enjoys this episode. And, you know, if you made it all the way to the end of it, I love you. And Jesus says too. Bye. Kevin McLeod, winner, winner. <laughs>